This is the Living in Fierce Alignment podcast, your go-to place for mindset transformation, self-empowerment, and personal development. I'm your host, Kayla. I'm a mindset coach for ambitious human beings who are wildly passionate about up-leveling themselves so that they can live a limitless life with ease. I'm here to show you how to create the life of your dreams and powerfully step into your full potential, and of course, live fiercely. So let's get started. Welcome back to the Living in First Alignment podcast. My name is Kayla, and today I'm really excited because I have a friend of mine who's going to join me in a podcast interview. She's a 5-1 splenic projector, and she's a health and wellness specialist that offers a body, mind, and soul approach to working with her clients, and she works with all clients from all walks of life. Her name is Kelly. And her and I got connected through Instagram. So I'm pretty sure she slid into my DMs one day and we were laughing because you, if you're a listener on my channel, you know that my name is spelled K-E-H-L-A and her name is spelled K-E-H-L-Y. And we kind of look alike, like we're both brunette, like there's just some similar features. And she was, she's in, like, she's from BC originally, Northern BC, and I'm in Victoria, BC. So there was like a lot of similarities. And then we just started chatting and we became friends. And so she slid into my DMs, we've kept in touch. And then one day we had a coffee date and we started talking we had these like crazy similarities in terms of our background and of being an athlete and just the work that we do and so on. So I thought it'd be really cool to bring her on. We'll have some human design conversation, but I mostly just wanted her to share her story because I love using my platform as a way of getting people to share their experiences and literally tell their story because I think it's just such a beautiful way to get connected with others. So that's my long-winded introduction. Kelly, welcome to the channel and I'm so excited to have you here. If you want to share maybe a little bit more about yourself or you know how you're excited to be on, we're just going to take the conversation from there. Yeah, no, thank you for having me and and offering this beautiful space. Um yeah, I just was super fascinated um, by like the spelling of her name, that was kind of the first connection and, and just, um, you know, even when you kind of like, are like, oh, am I going to feel like a weirdo messaging somebody and be like, hey, we kind of have the same name, but um, like, I'm super grateful I did. And, and there definitely is a, a soul connection. And I feel like I've known you for a lifetime. So I really, yes. Yeah. So when Kelly, she asked me to have a coffee chat and I was like, sure, like, why not? And we were chatting, we ended up talking for like, I'm pretty sure over an hour. And when you talk about the soul connection, I was like, yeah, this is crazy. Like, I definitely feel, you know, when you meet people, you've never met them before. And all of a sudden you just click, like, that's how I felt when we had that conversation. So I'm really excited to dive into our conversation today. So I think the first question I want to ask you is, where do you feel called to start in terms of sharing your story? Because I, re- I really just want to capture your story. I think it's so, I think it's so powerful. Well, I think a good um, point to start would be probably around grade nine is when I, I decided to make a different, um, I guess, take a different path than what was expected. And, and what I mean by that is um, I grew up with uh, addiction and um, abuse and sexual abuse as a child and my parents were both um, drug addicts and, and had major addictions and a lot of trauma. And from there, that kind of led me to playing sports and taking my anger um, to the court rather than, you know, using it in a negative way. And so I started playing every sport under the sun, starting grade four. 
mostly school sports because obviously my parents weren't there to take me to like dance or gymnastics and that kind of stuff. So I had to play the school sports and then financially it just made more sense. And um, so, yeah, I would say my journey started in grade four, like in the athletics and I played basketball, volleyball, baseball, soccer, like gymnastics, like uh, gymnastics, like when they would come to the school and give you like the months where you could do it. And um, just anything I could kind of get my hands on playing basketball, like, you know, with the boys after school and that kind of stuff. And then, you know, it took me to grade nine. And at that point I had already been like my, I was taken away from my, my parents and multiple times in and out of foster care. And um, yeah, sports and school was my safe space. So that kind of created a beast in itself, um, but also took me really far in life. And so in grade nine, I made that choice. I'm either going to go down the same route that my parents went, which was unsatisfactory, unrewarding, very traumatizing, very toxic, you know, um, low energy, low vibe energy. And so I wanted something different, but I didn't really know what, what that would look like. So just, you know, really grateful for my coaches and, and teachers and the positive influences I had in my life because, um, yeah, grade nine, I wrote in my journal. This is actually a really cool thing that I, I realized now is in grade nine, I wrote in my journal and I said, um, I'd like to play NCAA division one sports. So I didn't put a, I didn't put a specific sport. I just put sports and then I want a full ride division one, uh, for athletics. And then, so fast track to grade 11 from nine to 11, I made that choice. <clears throat> I want to go to the next level. And then great going into grade 11, the summer of grade 11, I was on an ID basketball camp at UMBC, which is in Prince George. And they were wanting to like recruit me in grade 10 for like, you know, my first post-secondary year. So I was like, no, like I'll come, but like, I don't want to decide where I'm going in grade 10. So, but anyways, our team turned over the ball and I was point guard. So I just turned around and started running backwards, but I didn't pick up my feet and my shoe gripped to the ground and I slammed my back, but I was like in a full out, like back pedal sprint. And then I couldn't get up. I couldn't walk. I thought my life like honestly was over everything I worked for, like from grade nine, 10, 11, going into grade 11, which is when you need to like level up to get to the next level. I thought, yeah, my life was over. And I cried because I was in a lot of pain, but I, I think I cried mostly because I thought my, my sports were like done at that point. And then um, being as stubborn as I was, I drove home six hours, just like in extreme pain, wouldn't go to the hospital. And then by the time I got to, to Fort St. John where I grew up I was like drop me off at the hospital like I cannot I cannot walk like I think something really bad happened and I ended up crushing three vertebrae and you know they told me I should have been on bed rest for three months and back brace and surgery but that would have took nine months to recover and going into grade 11 I was like I don't have nine months to recover like what can I do to stay strong to get mobile and get moving again so I you know, I, I pained my way, struggled my way, you know, stubborn my way through it and, you know, kept strong strength and conditioning and physio and rehab and that kind of stuff. But it led me to, yeah, I picked volleyball and basketball. So by the time I got to grade 10, it was volleyball and basketball. And I was in grade 10, 11, 12, the top hundred, um, athletes in Northern or in Western Canada. And I got invited to basketball in the West every year in Vancouver. So that was a really great experience. And I was like, Hey, I'm, you know, I feel like I'm making it to the next level. And, and basketball was actually my number one love. And, um, I was really, you know, I felt like I was really good at it, but you know, really good meaning like I worked hard 
you know, so that made me really good. Um, but it was also just something that kept me kind of like, you know, sane, let's say, <laughs> and um, use my, my energy and anger and rage and all those negative emotions that came along with, you know, abandonment and neglect and all those hard, heavy emotions that nobody really talks about. Um, yeah, so then once I finished, um, so through grade 11 and 12, I re-injured my back. So one time I took a jump shot when I was playing basketball and the girl pushed me in the air and I fell on my back. Um, you know, I, I always say, I wish I was a cat and I could land on my, my, my feet every time, but uh, heard it again. And then another time I slipped on the ice because in the North, it's just super icy everywhere and, and just kind of tweaked it again. And so I had to make a hard choice between volleyball and basketball. I had scholarships for both and I could could have went pretty much anywhere I wanted but I chose volleyball because I knew if I wanted to walk when I was 30 I should probably like pick one that's a little bit less um impactful and, and contact and rough because they only get stronger and faster too and being a point guard I'd always be like double team or triple team always and then so like they're just like ripping jerseys sticking their knees out like dragging you pushing you down like it, it was like football and rugby it felt like and um, it's, it's a non-contact sport, right? Um, but then volleyball brought me like down to the US and I did two, my first two years at the college at GPRC, which is Grand Prairie Regional College at the time, which was two hours um, from my hometown, Fort St. John. But actually Grand Prairie is where I was actually born and um, then grew up in Fort St. John and then moved back for, for my first two years at college. And then from there, uh, my coach at the time resigned, but would have got fired and um, nobody wanted to come back for her. So after my second year playing at GPRC, I knew I wanted to either go on to university or somewhere else. And that's kind of the game plan. Most people play like two years co college or junior college and then move on to university or a different level. So that's what I did. And instead of going to another Canadian school, my my friend uh, had played in the US and she said, Kelly, you know, you're good enough to play division one. You should look at going to the States because a full ride in the States is way more than a full ride in Canada. So I had a full ride in Canada, but that's only paying for your school. And then when in the, in the States, you get paid your living, your school, your textbooks, international fees, like you fly to every game. We played against like University of Miami, Denver, um, Mississippi, like Texas, like you know new orleans it was it was amazing experience but you know in, in in canada northern bc we would have to drive like 10 hours to play a game and like that's a one-way one-way trip so it's like you know we were playing like two three games but flying to you know every place and then you know you're just treated like gold down there like you are like a celebrity in the athletic world and and i went to university of arkansas at little rock which was known for the razorbacks football team and then Derek Fisher actually played at my school. So our practice gym is what's called the Fisher gym. And it had like a big basketball um, like window in, in, the, in the practice gym, which our, our main gym sat like 5,600 people. It was massive. So, so I went from a little, you know, hick town, redneck town that, <laughs> you know, would have never thought I would have went across North America to Southern, you know, uh, Southern East of um, like, they call it the deep South, but it's like, the opposite side of North America. So I'm from BC. I went to Arkansas, which is like the east side of North America, but way south. So um, culture shock, you know, everything about life that I knew at that point 
was totally different down there. So it was a really good experience. Um, but yeah, that was kind of like a quick blue notes. It, it feels like I talked on long time, but that was as quick as, you know, I'd be able to kind of create that context and then that timeline for people. No, I really love what you shared. And it's funny because I can relate on so many levels. Like it's been a long time since I've shared about my own journey of being an athlete and playing rugby. And I just, one of the things I could really resonate with in your sharing is just how much I think sports also saved my life, essentially, in the sense that I grew up in an environment where I had an alcoholic dad and a very abusive alcoholic stepmom. And, you know, then I had a healthy relationship with my mom and my stepdad, but I was bouncing between these two households. And I just remember having rugby, like it stopped me from getting into the drinking and the drugs. Like, it's just, that's something that I, I never went down into because I was just too busy playing sports. Like it was just, it was just like the healthiest distraction. But then it's when it becomes an identity to the point where you get injured and all of a sudden, you know, you have to back off. And then it's like this crisis of like, who the fuck am I? What am I doing? What's happening next? Like, it's just, it can be so stressful, you know? And I think even when you look at the pro athletes who football players, just as an example, who are making millions a year and they get injured and all of a sudden, it's gone, you know, their money's gone. So I, I could really, I could really feel that. And it just kind of brought me back to this nostalgic experience of like my own childhood and like staying in the sports, you know, and going through that and, and going into university. And I, I love hearing that. Cause I think that, I think that it's a great example that even if you come from an environment or a household that is unhealthy or unstable, like there is still the possibility of being able to choose differently like you decided and you you stuck with that and you know you were also blessed to have that school environment and the coaches that supported you in that like obviously we can you know throw in privilege to, into this but it's still there's still that choice and that commitment that you made so that's really what I heard in your sharing and I think it's amazing that you know you shared that journey because I know that this this sets us up for our adulthood and I can say that because like obviously I'm not playing rugby anymore at that level because that's full contact so I, I really appreciate you sharing all of that. And so I'm curious now, coming into your adulthood, getting into the work that you're doing now with the people that you're working with. And then also, I guess we can kind of tie in, like, I'm not sure when you discovered your human design, but finding out that you were a splenic projector, you know, she's only got her root in spleen defined, just so that the listeners know there's lots of like openness in her chart. I think that'd be really cool to hear, you know, that obviously we've heard the foundation of kind of your childhood experience, whatever else you want to share going into like your career path now. Yeah, so I'd like to track back on because you brought up identity and kind of how we let that become our identity. So yeah, great, you know, grade going into grade 11, I had that identity crisis with an injury and very, very traumatizing. And also, you know, that same year I lost my mom, you know, to overdose. And, and um, so it was a very hard year and I could see why I broke my back because I wasn't dealing with a lot of my, my trauma and my pain, my neglect. And I was just kind of like, you know, out running it, thinking I was going to outsmart it, outwork it, you know, um, not talk about it, but it, it's got to come out somewhere and it's going to show up somewhere. Um, and then to fast track to when I finished university and played, you know, four years of post-secondary and played at the highest level, I could potentially play at that level. Um, I went into a depression because yes, like I wasn't given a schedule anymore by my, my coaches. I wasn't given a schedule by my school. 
I wasn't given a schedule um, in the summertime to, you know, prepare for, you know, the coming season to, to come back in shape so you can perform at the level that's expected of you. And um, all of a sudden, you know, I had allowed that to be my only identity, literally like sports, sleep, work, school, sports, sleep, work, school. And like, honestly, I never took a break since grade four. Like I, I actually never took a break ever. I didn't know how to be still. I didn't know how to sit in my own shit. What I realized I didn't even grieve for my mom. And it had been seven years at that point. And nobody even asked me how I was doing. Like, they're like, uh, you've had a lot of loss and trauma in your life. Like they knew, but nobody knows how to talk or bring it up or, and maybe not nobody, but nobody in my life was bringing it up or saying like, Hey, Cal, like just checking in, like there's been some heavy stuff. And, um, like, how are you holding up through all this? Cause I was really good at pretending like it was all good and, you know, masking my emotions or, or stuffing them down. But then they had to come out. And then that's what I mean is they'll come out somewhere and you least want it to happen or when you least expect it. And, and mine came out, um, you know, by attracting a toxic boyfriend into my life and accepting, you know, bullshit because I didn't have boundaries and a backbone to say, actually, you don't get to treat me like this. And, you know, which led me to giving my power away. And then, you know, me being depressed and sad and like, you know, just not wanting to do life and I went from like this super high like this American dream to like this really dark space and and I can say like don't let sports or your job or your title or who you are or what you do for people um, be your identity because life shifts life evolves you know people come and go and people die and they come in in your life and out of your life um, and, and that's part of life but how we you know, navigate those. I, I I don't even say obstacles anymore. I call them opportunities. Um, really, is the defining point because you know you and I could experience the same thing, but my thoughts and perspective could be completely different compared to yours, depending on what our childhood trauma was or the beliefs we took on from our parents or religion or cultures or sports, right? Um, so yeah, the identity part is massive. Like I've had like so many identity crisis skin and then it was like, I didn't, I wasn't getting my lesson. I was like, Oh, okay. I got it. I got it. So just realizing now, um, I think for me, the biggest, uh, cause you asked about work and kind of what I'm doing now and how that led into it is I want to, you know, I'm not going to save people. I used to think I was going to save the world and like heal the world. And that like, that's a massive mission. And I, I mean, like, I honor people who want to do that but like honestly I love I just need to say that you're a five one you know that the five is like a is like titled as the hero right like the mentor <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah like I'm like oh <laughs> fuck I can save everybody Woohoo! like come on I'm gonna carry the world the weight of the world on my shoulder like I got it I'm the front line and 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 it led me to being like a martyr and bitter and like thinking humans are incompetent and why can't even they take care of themselves and wipe their own asses because I'm like People come to me for training, but then they need me to be their like life coach, their therapist, their, you know, dumping grounds, their sister, their aunt, their mom, their dad. That's like all these um, expectations that are put on people when you literally hired me for an hour of personal training. <laughs> and then you, you know, shame on, on me and you for like, you know, ha not having boundaries on what, what we were signing up for. Yeah, that I'm smiling so hard just because <laughs> obviously I have the personal training background as well. This is like another similarity that Kelly and I carry, but the, no, I'm just, it's interesting. Like literally a five, one, that's such a typical thing where 
they they can feel from the people that they're being pulled in like solve my problems like what are the answers like help me and I feel like because you only have your spleen and your root defined there's all that openness where you're just gonna like absorb people's energy I'm 9-11 like 9-1-1 people's phone call like I am that crisis like moment please save me please help me and like I've always been kind of that mother role for everybody like naturally just like who I am and kind of how I grew up because I I see people's pain. I see people, you know, where they're at without them even speaking anything or doing anything. Um, I, I tune in, right? So I am very aware, but that also can be my curse as well because I, I see people's pain and I have a massive heart. And sometimes I, I put my heart, you know, ahead of like logic and like, hey, you know what? Like this is their journey. And, and no matter what I say or do is not going to shift that. They just have to go through it. And that's, you know, the only way out for them is through it. Right. Yeah. So as you, as you were kind of in this chapter then, so you mentioned that you're doing some personal training and whatnot, like what else pulled you into the work that you're, that you're doing now? So my healing, my own healing journey started, um, I'd say in 2008, you know, um, kind of when I shifted towards Arkansas and then, I started asking a bit like more questions like why, why do I react the way I do? Why do I get triggered the way I do? Why am I attracting like certain people into my life? Um, Why do I have certain behaviors that, you know, I still haven't kind of worked through Um, like those lessons that I wasn't learning, Um, you know, just like little nagging injuries. I was like, you know what? Like I'm strong, I'm healthy. I have like the best team of physiotherapists and chiropractors and massage therapists um, you know, whirlpools, like, why am I still injured? Like, um, so I just started asking like deeper questions. And then I I started looking in more into the, so I was all about like physical and science and like more like the, um, I don't know, like the masculine energy, like the go-getter being a sport production efficiency, like, like a horse, like a, I don't know. (laughs) A workhorse. Yeah. Like literally the same thing. So like, this is how I literally was trained. And I was trained to operate as a generator, which now I know I was not a generator. So I was functioning, like I always worked 12 to 16 hours a day. Like that was just normal for me, whether it was sports or work or life, like it just, that was my norm. And I started realizing like the harder I work is like, you know, there's no time to rest and just be. And I started just being and resting a bit more. But then I found myself feeling guilty and I was like, why am I feeling guilty? Like there's a lot of people who do nothing for weeks at a time and they don't feel guilty. Like I can't even take an hour to just be. Um, So I was like, always just kind of like asking why and just like trying to understand myself. And I was always very interested in like psychology and my minor was criminal justice. So I always was curious of why people do what they do or why criminals are, you know, where they are, why people live on the street or why people choose, you know, different addictions, whether it's being a workaholic, overachiever, drug addict, alcoholic, um, busy, you know, all the things, um, physical bypassing things, spiritual bypassing things. Like, again, it's all a form of addiction, but some are more accepted by society. Right. And also, you know, if you're choosing drugs and alcohol, there's a little bit, um, I would say higher risk in, in that for your, overall like life and well-being of course um but you could also be addicted to shopping and that could you know put you into debt and you know put your family at risk and you know losing a home and that kind of stuff so um I just started realizing like interesting like my parents were good people they 
they were, you know, both entrepreneurs and my mom was a welder. My dad had, you know, a fencing company, but they just allowed their trauma to get in their way and, and it controlled them. And without the, the boundaries and the tools and all that, you know, I was like, hmm, what's, there's gotta be something more to life. So that's where I started tapping to the emotional side and then just getting to know my heart and my soul. And then that led me to spirituality, which, um, the first thing I kind of got into was my Reiki level one, then my Reiki level two. And then I got my masters, which is like your chakra systems and like your energy systems. And if one's imbalanced or blocked, then it's going to affect your whole body and your whole system. So I had a lot of, um, so my belief now is, um, our emotional body shows up in our physical bodies. So how things were showing up in my body was ears, nose, and throat. And these injuries broke it back. So what I discovered was I had chronic ear infections. Well, um, I also had chronic ear infections. That is so, so crazy. When I was a kid though. Yeah. Yes. So listen to this. So what I discovered with doing my own research and my own trial and erring is no doctor could fix me. No medical system could fix me. So they'd give me antibiotics and eardrops. They should have put tubes in my ears and apparently they would have been able to drain and it would have avoided all this, you know, ear infections, but it turned into this, um, chronic, uh, disease and it ate away all my bones in my ear into my skull to the point where there's spinal fluid from my brain leaking into my ear canal. Like I almost died twice because these doctors were being negligent and just giving me prescription after prescription, you know, cleaning it out, sucking it out, but never fixing the root cause. So I was like, okay, so if the doctors aren't going to save me, how am I going to save myself? Because they're not listening. I'm going deaf. There's like blood and pus. It smells like a chicken farm. And, and clearly I'm dying on the inside. Something's happening, but nobody's listening. I'm the ones going deaf. I, they think I'm crazy. Like it's just, it was a lot to be like, Hey, I know what's going on in my body, but can you just please listen? Because you not listening is literally like I might die and to try to tell somebody who just doesn't want to hear it. So it, it, 2014, I almost died. Like one more night, I would have been dead. And the surgery was supposed to be three hours. It turned into seven, you know, the, the size of my, it'd be like a small golf ball, like a golf ball or a bouncy ball size of like what the disease did to me. So I think this is something to bring forward because if anybody's dealing with chronic ear infections, it can turn into a disease called clostridioma, which is what I had. And it's a cyst in your middle ear. So I think parents and people need to know about this deadly disease. And a lot of children I know have chronic ear infections. But for me, my emotional block for that was I had a lot of turmoil and fighting in my home as a child. So with my holistic practices and in plant medicine journeys and going down a rabbit hole and deep diving into who I am, why I'm here, you know, going back into my ancestral lines, generational trauma. Um, I discovered that a lot of my ear, chronic ear infections was emotional blocked because my parents were fighting and I had prayed as a little girl that I didn't want to hear my parents fight anymore. So then God in the universe answered my call, right? My prayer and started giving me ear infections. Well, then ear infections almost killed me as well. So it was like, okay, so my lesson is that is like, be careful what you ask for. And what I also discovered is a lot of my clients, and I had a lot of kids, you know, over the years, I had kids empowerment classes and, and high level athletes um, training. 
And a lot of the kids who had ear infections had parents who fought and yelled and were loud. And sometimes it's the opposite. It's the unsaid words and the elephants in the room and walking on the eggshells. So it could be one side of the spectrum to the other. It could be everyone's keeping the peace. You know, everyone's kind of walking on eggshells. You can feel, you know, you know, the elephant in the room, but nobody talks about it. Or it could be turmoil, toxic, loud, you know, ego, just, you know, just not fun environment. So that was my experience with the chronic ear infections. And since I did ayahuasca, plant medicine, and I'm not one to do any kind of drugs or like never done any of that in my life, but plant medicine, I was feeling called to go. And I really wanted to heal the root cause of my ear infections because the medical system was failing me. And um, I was able to heal my ears. I went back and just visualized my soul contract that I had wrote as a little girl and prayed for. And since 2014, so the year I almost died, that year, I also did a plant medicine journey. My ears have been healed, haven't one, had one ear infection since. So to me, that's just validation of, hey, if you don't heal your emotional body or your trauma or your mental body or any imbalance in our body, it's going to show up. And, and um, again, we can't outsmart it. We can't give it a pill. We can't give it a wrap. We can't, no potion, lotion or pill is going to fix it. And, and it's doing the inner work. That's so fascinating because are, are you hearing impaired at all from the infections that you had? Oh yeah. I got a hearing aid. I'm deaf. I'm deaf in both ears. So, um, so I barely I don't have any hearing. <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but I'm also hearing impaired and I wear what? hearing aids. <laughs> what? Oh my. Okay. Kayla. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Okay, this, this is, is the cool. universe saying like, hi, that's hi. a little bit crazy. No, listen, there was, it was, uh, oh my God, it must've been like almost two years ago now. I interviewed, actually, I'll put this in the show notes if people want to listen because we dove into being hearing impaired in this episode. I interviewed a gal named Julie, who is also, I think she's a self-projected projector if I remember correctly. Anyways, we got on to record the podcast episode and I was like, oh, can you hear like the fan going? And she goes, oh no, I, I can't hear it. Don't worry, I'm, I'm hearing impaired. And I was like, I'm hearing impaired. So this is the second time. So I have a bone podcast. anchored- a bone anchored hearing aid so oh my the, god the normal hearing aids that most people wear they don't work for me because my hearing loss is in my middle ear okay. so this it's a screw in my skull and then it clips on there so the sound goes from the screw to the skull to the inner ear so it bypasses that outer middle ear so it's pretty amazing the you know the oh technology. my god I can't believe we both have like hearing aids and our name <laughs> is almost spelled the same and we're both athletes and are growing up and okay that's fucking crazy I was listening to you I was like is she hearing impaired if she's hearing impaired I'm gonna lose my shit <laughs> oh my goodness this is actually hilarious yeah. wow anyways what really fascinated me was just you sharing how you know, the fighting and the, and the things that you feel like manifested emotionally into like a physical disease, because I, when I was growing up, my parents didn't know I was hearing impaired until I was five years old. And they, it was my kindergarten teachers that noticed that the way, based on the way I was behaving in class, like, oh, she can't, she can't hear properly. So I got testing done. I've had hearing aids since I was five, but then they did the testing, genetic testing. And I think I must've found out when I was around 10 or something that it was genetic. Like it wasn't, you know, I had a ton of ear infections when I was a kid. My parents separated when I was three. My dad, he's an ego manifester. When he is fucking angry, like he's yelling, like 
there has been a lot of verbal fighting in my childhood. So, I mean, even though air quotes that it's like, oh, you, you know, you, you, it was genetics. Like you were born with hearing loss. Cause they didn't start doing testing on newborns until I think 1995. So I was born in 1990. So it's like, okay, that makes sense that I could have been missed. But I also just find it really fascinating that you mentioned that. And it's like, well, who knows? Like, what if, you know, it was that that was part of like childhood trauma that could have influenced me now having hearing aids. Like, I don't, I, I'll never well, know. And, I'm just, and it's, I would, it's interesting. I would add that um, the medical system said the same thing to me. Oh, your mom had issues with ears, nose and throat. Oh, your grandma did. And, and I don't really buy into that because my grandma and my mom also had a lot of turmoil and anger and toxicity in their, in their homes. So I would, I would say now knowing what I know, um, there was some turmoil in the household and yes, maybe you were born with it, but be, but because there was fighting when you were in your mom's womb, does that make sense? Yeah. So, and it, so it our totally lives start in the womb and, and, and then also the womb is connected to the grandma, the great grandma, like you go back seven generations, right? So like we have seven generations of, you know, and then many, many, many more, but like go back to the, the last seven that we literally, that's who we come from in our blood, our DNA, our cellular, you know, on a cell level. And, and I believe our job in this lifetime, you know, mine and yours and this mission, this big mission that we're on is to heal, you know, all that, that suffering and pain and trauma so we're not passing it on to our children or our children's children. And, you know, we're here to, to make a change and not accept that, you know, these, okay, yeah, it's generational or, oh, it's lifestyle, it's this or that, but like, maybe, maybe, but just ask some deeper questions. And totally for me, I really ask deep questions and, and it's changed my life for the better. Yes. So I am, this conversation is just the parallels that we have are literally blowing my mind. I just can't get over it. So it sounds like you obviously went through this transformation in your twenties, like after, after university and college and whatnot. And so when did you start your business? And then when did you discover human design? I feel like human design was more recently than how long you've been doing your business, but I would love to hear that story. So I started, um, like personal training off and on, like throughout the summers and my breaks and stuff through college and university, like when I was 18 years old. So I started training then. And then I added like nutrition as well. And then I got my degree in kinesiology and, and I had a minor in special education. And then when I went to the States, I couldn't minor in special education because they only had that as a major. So I had to change mine to the criminal justice, which I loved. And, um, it brought me a lot of cool places too with that. Um, actually, which I think I want to add to right now is so in my criminal justice, I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. And like after I was done my post-secondary, my, my undergrad. And um, so I wanted at first to do drug enforcement agency. So I wanted to go that route first and then potentially like become a lawyer. And so I was working with one of my professors from university and we had an internship where we did a uh, program for inmates that were going to be released to the public within six months, but they had been incarcerated for like 20 to 25 years. Like they were high level, like inmates. So our, the program that I was a part of, and I was a part of like this board and, you know, this planning and, and being there for these, these high level um, inmates, it was super intimidating, but also the best experience of my life. And, and my professor was an ex-DEA. DEA agent, which is drug enforcement agency. 
I think they call it association now, but it used to be agency. And, and he asked me to be a part of this. And I was like, how do I say no? Like, this sounds intense, but yes, please. So we would go to like the prison in Arkansas and there was about 25 men and they had been incarcerated like for many, many years. And most of them would get out, but then end up back in. And, and what we've realized is these inmates go back six to seven times before they stay out or they end up dying either in prison or, or on the streets. So the whole mission in our re-entry program, which was for six months, we work with these guys uh, pre um, before they get out. So when you get out, the inmates need to have a home to go to a job. And they also need to have like, you know, a probation officer to check in with. And you can't just like, you know, make up an address. Like they actually make sure you have a home to go to. It's safe. You're not going to end up back in prison. But what happens is these inmates get released and they actually don't have a bed or a home or meals to eat or a toilet to use. So they actually prefer to be in prison because they have a bed, they have a toilet, they get food. But living that lifestyle from the inside is is very hard on your soul and, and your spirit. So, you know, I think there's some hope in humanity still. But the, the most beautiful part about that experience for me was I got to see some of these men who had made very, you know, bad choices with their life, but they were good humans at one point. And majority of them came from a lot of childhood trauma or, you know, from different backgrounds and religions and ethnicities and like in Arkansas it was quite um very racist still in some ways um like the black people didn't go to their white people's restaurants white people didn't go to the black people's restaurants a lot of the homes had bars on the window and bars on the door like people you're allowed to carry guns like there was time for I seen people chasing like another guy down the street with a gun like you know literally full-on sprint and I'm like driving I'm like oh my goodness what do I do like I'm like from northern BC like that does not happen and I'm not saying it never happens but like very rare so in Arkansas is a high crime rate which means there's low education so because there's low education like where people you know I think it's the highest grade is like six or seven grade six seven on average um, education and so that leads to high crime drug use addiction that kind of stuff so it was one of the lower like the poorer states in the U.S. but it also was the most beautiful state. So like you kind of, you know, get the, you know, the highs and the lows, but with my experience, it was really good, but it was intense at moments. And then in that prison, just realizing that these people just made a poor choice at one time in their life because they were in a, you know, a difficult headspace or, you know, traumatized and they asked for help and there was no support. So they, you know, went to drugs or harming others or themselves. And specifically this one story I want to share, it changed my life forever was it came from a lawyer who was on the panel and the board. And she told these inmates that the reason why she's a lawyer is because her step or her dad and her stepmom were shot and her, and uh, they were at home. They lived in a, a Royal home, like outside of town. And there was a guy like parked at the end of the driveway, you know, just sitting there. And her dad said like, Hey, sir, you need to like move on. This is private property. And never really thought anything of it. Just was checking the mail, checked the mail and went back home. Well, this guy a few hours later came through the bush and then at this point a few hours later her dad came out of the house to bring the garbage out you know to put it in the garbage bin and this guy had trekked through the bush and shot him like point blank and then unfortunately the stepmom ran outside and he shot her too so the kids seen both their parents being murdered in front of them and then this lawyer who was you know I think she was like 12 or 13 at the time 
she had two half siblings at home and they were like five and six, I believe like quite young. And this man had came in the house and said like, Hey, does your dad have any guns or like, is there any guns here? And then of course she showed him like where the safe was and he took these, these guns. And there was apparently like this old gun um, from, you know, a grandparent that he got and uh, he took it and killed a 14 year old boy, like, you know, left the kids, but then went and killed somebody else. So he, he killed three people and she watched her dad and stepmom get murdered. So now she's, she's uh, a lawyer and sharing her story and looking at these inmates who, you know, have committed these crimes and not specific to her situation, but just sharing it. And you could just feel, you know, the weight in that room. And, and it was, it changed my life in a, in a lot of ways. So just, you know, having empathy and compassion for people, even if you disagree with what they've done or how they're showing up, you know, whether through their behaviors or what the choices they're making at the end of the day, we were all born with like unconditional love and, and, you know, um, this world can be a cruel place. And, and, and unfortunately a lot of us don't have the tools to, to navigate it. And then there's very little resources to get the help when you need it. Right. I really appreciate how I can just see based off of everything that you're sharing, like the experiences that you've had in your childhood, like with your own struggles and upbringing with your parents and just the experiences that you've had in terms of like, especially with working with inmates and all of this. And just that explains why, like in the very beginning of this conversation where I was like, Kelly works with people of all walks of life. Cause it's like, you have lived so many lifetimes in this life already, you know, with the multitude of layers and experiences that you have. And I feel like this is why, you know, this must be why you really started your career as this health and body mind specialist. And you do the work that you do with your people, because it just makes sense. Like I'm listening to your story and I'm like, this is all clicking together. <laughs> Yeah, and I felt like that was a, a really good story to share. And I, I I don't have the opportunity to share it very often because people don't ask me the questions to be able to, you know, express that. And I don't want to just be like, hey, guess what? You know, I'm just I, I I also follow the projector now that I wait for the invitation. Um, because there has been times in my life that I've offered advice or wisdom and, and it wasn't welcome. So I recognize now when it's welcome and, and, and when the energy feels right, you know, I can share these vulnerable, you know, moments and experiences without feeling, you know, shame or judgment or, or just, just anything negative that might come along with that. Cause, cause we're so quick to judge, you know, and, and base everything on our perspectives. Right. So I think for me, my biggest lesson is just like, we know nothing. And, and just from looking at somebody, you can't, you can't tell what they've been going through or what they're going through. So, you know, I didn't have a missing limb or, you know, a laceration across my face, but the internal wounds I had inside of me and um, done to me were, were very, very extreme. And what I recognized in these, also these very crazy experiences, because I also traveled to like, you know, um, 10 different countries in two years. And like I, I was in India, Nepal, Indonesia, Malaysia, Australia, um, lived in Thailand and, and Mexico and like did a lot of traveling to these developing countries and realized like I still had first world problems. Like um, I'm from Canada, but I was very traumatized from like the family and the, the bloodlines I was born into and kind of the environments and toxicity, but on, uh, like I was given education, I was giving, 
opportunities. Um, some of these children in those countries know nothing outside their village. They don't even know that they live in a, a state or a province or a continent or a country. So for me, at least I, I was so blessed to be born in Canada because I could have been born in those countries. And that's all you know, where, you know, at least I got to know the difference that like, hey, that was your life, but that doesn't have to be your, your ending and your, your story. It's, you know, I believe we can either tell a story from being a victim or tell a story from being like, you know, a warrior and a survivor and a, th a thriver and, and allow, you know, you to write your story, not somebody else to write your story. Yes. Oh, I'd love it. So how did you discover human design and then what was it like for you you kind of touched on it how I mean this is so typical like a non-sacral being living as a sacral being <laughs> what was it like for you when you discovered human design and you realized the power your power of being a projector well I was like fuck I've been doing it wrong my whole life I've been a <laughs> generator what the heck so for me I was like pissed I was like oh I could have known this like 20 years ago that would have been nice but uh I'm a firm believer that <laughs> the teacher shows up when the student's ready to learn. And even if it showed up, I probably wouldn't have um, had the time or put in the time into it. And, and once, you know, I, I do believe this is part of my sign too. Once I make up my mind, I become like, you know, a specialist or an investigator and, and I can really learn anything I put my mind to doing. Um, so I, I only discovered it like maybe two years ago. And I, that was a good time because I was shifting my life all to like online anyways, because I had done everything in person and I had never been good at like telling people how good I am or like my experiences or explaining like, you know, what I do and how I do it. And people just came to me. So like I would invite them and then they would just show up and I'd show through my actions of like, hey, this is where I can take you. So shifting to the online world and just, um, yeah, it's been not so one question you did ask, I'll backtrack a little bit because then it'll make sense. So in 2015, I opened up my own private facility. I had a, a health and fitness studio and, um, you know, I was training up to like 60, 70 people a day, like group, big group sessions and doing, uh, working with, uh, high level athletes, like hockey and volleyball, basketball, dance, like, you know, anybody who wanted to take it to the next level, they, they came to my, my dry lands and my kids empowerment classes and that kind of stuff. And then, then I had general population. So I had, you know, the retired wives, you know, the dentists and the doctors and, you know, the moms, and then you have your, your entrepreneurs, your business owners. And then I had like, you know, the people who were, you know, engineers or designers or whatever would come like my 6am crew. So it was, it was really um, multifaceted and a lot of different people, and what I loved about my space is my intention was to, was to create a safe space um, that was home away from home for people to, you know, take their bodies and mental health and overall health to the next level. And I created a, a private studio. So it wasn't open to just anybody. And yeah, it was very powerful. So I outgrew my, my first space after two years. And then I moved to another place. And then I luckily in 2000. June 2019 I shut down because that's when my lease was done and my intention was initially is to open for three to four years and see what I like what I don't like what works what doesn't work and what people want and what they don't want and I got all of that and way more <laughs> so um, I recognized it's not something I want to do long term 
it was a season in my life. Um, I'm really grateful for my clients and the, their loyalty and their dedication, you know, to themselves and myself. Um, but if I want to have a family and kids and, and some travel time and, and freedom and like, you know, to be able to come and go when, you know, I'm invited or when I feel called to go, um, it's hard being a business owner, but also being in my business so much because I actually wanted to like run my business and then hire other trainers and specialists to, to do like the in-person stuff. And it's really hard to find reliable people and, and people who could help navigate that. And, and I'd hire people, but it'd be for like a few months or a season or a year. And, you know, they outgrow or evolve or, you know, it's just not working. We're not growing together. Um, so I really just was like, you know what, I, I'm only one person. I'm wearing 25 hats. I, I now I'm in a relationship that I'm a full-time, you know, bonus mom and I'm raising a child that's, you know, needs my attention, my love and my support and working at 5am till midnight. It's just not aligning. So I decided it was best for my personal life to, you know, shut my door. And, and that was really hard because I'm a people pleaser and a peacekeeper and, and the savior and all the things to everybody else. But I needed to just really like tune into my own heart and was like, what does Kelly want? And for the first time in my life, I really honored what I wanted, but it was really hard letting people down and disappointing them because it was a big part of everybody's life. Most of my clients came three to five times a week. So it was, it was a shock to all of us and, and a community that was just beautiful. And, you know, we were there on our good days and bad days and, you know, the, the hard seasons and the good seasons. And we just got to see each other and hold each other through that, you know, those times and, and with not even knowing you know, I knew what was going on in everyone's life, but not all those clients knew what was going on in their lives, but we just all had one goal in mind. And that was to put ourselves first and, you know, come together and, and be held and be in a safe space to, to allow us to get to the next level. So um, it was amazing. I did everything I wanted to do. I managed to get some extra gray hairs and, you know, black bags and many, many sleepless nights but I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it for the world. So just running a business and operating a business and then being in the business, like next level was a lot for me. And, um, that inspired me to go online. And then, so yeah, I closed down June, 2019. Well, March, 2020 COVID rolled out. So I was like, thank you universe. Thank you. And then I felt like actually good about my decision at that point, but I had cried and was like, you know, bit down for a few months. Cause I felt like I was letting myself down. Am I making the right decision? I had to tell my clients, I was like hyperventilating on the phone, telling my clients like <laughs> my lease is coming up. I'm, I want to close and I don't know what I want to do. I just want some space and like create some, you know, magic, but I need the space and, and, and to shut down. And I just put all my stuff into like sea cans and, and that was another identity crisis. <laughs> and then just, um, building up from there. So um, yeah, so it kind of was, so I did the training and nutrition from there and I did energy healing. So I said, I did the level one, level two, my master's, and then I've added astrology and Akashic record readings and angel card readings and psychic mediumship. And then I did all that for me. I just wanted to heal my shit and like Kundalini yoga and sound healing and plant medicine but I didn't really tell anyone about what I was doing, like, you know, on my own time. And, and now I'm in a space where I'm like, you know what, I need to start sharing this. Like it helped me so much and got me to where I am today. So now, 
So I had a bit of an identity crisis um, in 2019, like June 2019. But then I started realizing, like, I do need to bring this to the world because I'd be doing a disservice if I didn't. And and now I've kind of been doing it behind closed doors. And, and now I'm going to share it with the world. And, and it's a big part of who I am. Uh, so I've been on the spiritual journey for about 15 years and then found human design like two years ago. So that kind of connects those dots there. Yeah, I really love this particular part when you're talking about, you know, you're doing your own thing internally, but then you're recognizing that you're doing this and recognizing yourself as sharing it. That's such a big thing for projectors. Like I, I always say this, it's like, if you recognize yourself, if you're there recognizing yourself, people are seeing you recognize your, like recognize you. Right. And so it just creates that signature theme of recognition because you're showing people how to see you you're like oh well actually I know all these things I have these psychic abilities like I can I can really go in and hone in on your emotional body versus how it's showing up in your physical body like you're recognizing the skills that you have right and especially as a five one it's so beautiful because it's like I've done all the investigations like I've lived that one line of like doing all the things living all the experiences and like now I'm here to share it and so I love that you're totally naturally embodying that like I don't know if you were that aware that you were doing okay you're like shaking your head so there you are that's one of the things I love about human design like I don't know this conversation isn't super in-depth with it and that's fine but I can still pull out examples of how you're living your design which I think is beautiful and even just you having that root to spleen connection like there's this pressure for safety and security and intuition which shows up so much. Well, and those are like at the forefront of my life right now is um, I never felt safe and secure. So no wonder I didn't share my spirituality and my gifts. And, and now I actually feel safe and secure and like embodied in that projector energy. And I am a guide. I am, I have a lot of wisdom to share. And I believe, you know, I'm a, a messenger of truth and a truth seeker. And that, you know, is my investigator side. And I do... I do know a lot of different things. I have a lot of wisdom and, and knowledge, um, but I, I, stay I stay curious and I'm continuously a student of life. So for me, it's like the more I learn is the less I know, but I, I keep an open mind and an open heart. And I think that's, that's really what got me to where I am today. Yeah. So how have you been using, now that we're kind of chatting a little bit about your human design, how has that supported you? in your life like obviously you have all these other tools that you've been using with reiki and your personal training and your schooling background and the athleticism and all of that how has human design supported you as a tool well now that i know kind of more about it um i naturally when i closed down my physical location i I uh, set my day up like the monks and the first half of their day is like taking care of themselves and doing their homework, the chores or learning and, 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 you know, teachings and their practices and their rituals. And then the second half of the day is like to be of service and helping others and, you know, doing like podcasts like this or just connecting, right? Like having coffee. So I've really, you know, maybe unconsciously didn't realize that was more of a projector way. Um, but I'm actually way more efficient now. Like they, what I've recognized is, yes, I'm very productive as, you know, trying to operate like a generator and working 12 to 16 hours a day. But then it led, leads me down to these like low, low lows of like where it takes me three to four days, maybe a week to get out of those. Whereas I just honor my body every day. And like in this moment, what do I need? And if it's go have a break and a timeout or, you know, go have a shower or go have a bath or go for a walk. Like I don't feel bad anymore. I'm like, I'll, 
you know, I just really honor like, okay, my intention right now is to work two hours on this next program or course that I'm launching, or I'm going to connect for one hour to, you know, put my mind to what, what we're going to do for this retreat, like that kind of stuff. So just really being, um, using my time very efficiently and working maybe four to five hours a day, like of work, work, whether that's paid or unpaid, that, that part's irrelevant to me. Cause, um, I'm just, I'm, I'm giving, you know, my mission and, and being of service no matter what. So, um, yeah, I try to, you know, four to six hours, maybe at most a day and then honoring myself, you know, getting a workout in or having a coffee or going to have a belly laugh or, you know, going to do a class that, you know, I've never done, um, putting myself in environments that make me feel uncomfortable, but, you know, challenge me, but then also taking the space to ground and cleanse and, you know, clear everyone's stuff. So then I can just like, you know, really um, fill my cup up and make sure I'm coming from a good space, you know, because my cup's filled and my heart's clear. Yes, this is so beautiful because especially just looking looking at your chart because I have it here from our conversation before and you having that awareness. I, I just love that how human design can be a tool to give you permission to be a different kind of way because obviously being a generator behaving like a generator manifesting generator when you're not like it's never going to be sustainable like you even shared it like it'll fuck you up for half the week like <laughs> what's the purpose of that you know and I think just that awareness like because you have so much openness where you talk about like getting rid of what you're absorbing from others because that's exactly what you do like as a projector is like this absorbing and this penetrating of like what it is that you see right so I love that this is becoming or this is like a tool for you to use in your business and how you show up. And just I think that there's a huge calling just in general for people to slow the fuck down and, and, and slow the fuck down. So for everything, we equal and opposite reaction. So if you're go, 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 you also need to be still and, yeah. and quiet, not distracted. Like there's a difference being still and being distracted by a show or a podcast or music is not being still and like quiet, right? Yeah. So I, I want to point that out because a lot of people are, well, like I just relax. I just watched a movie. I said, well, no, that's still a distraction and avoidance. And, you know, yeah. you're not sitting in your own shit. Totally. Totally. Yeah. I find doing things that doesn't necessarily involve like a, a stimulus, like for example, like going for a walk or cooking, sometimes not even listening to music, but just doing these things or cleaning, not listening to music, like doing things that are not associated with being stimulated by like social media I find is like such a it, it helps me clear things out even if I'm taking action but I feel like maybe that's because I'm a generator where it's like I need to move my energy but then I'm not stimulating my brain you know what I mean so it's like there's then, so many ways to approach it I, I like how you brought that up because yeah going for a walk but not listening or talking like even if you're walking with someone you don't have to talk just hold space and, and there's sometimes where I'll say to my partner like hey let's just walk but like I don't want to talk I just want to be and, and we just honor that. And he says the same thing, you know, it's sometimes just being together is the intention and, and just, we don't have to talk all the time. And that's also something I learned from the monks is we, I stayed at a monastery in Nepal for a week with the monks at a Buddhist monastery and learned about Tibet Buddhism. And we woke up at 4am and then you do your, your chimes and sound healing and gongs and meditations and mantras and just like movement and, um, you know, from like Kundalini and just like open up chakras, all that kind of stuff at 4 a.m. And then you have your tea and your breakfast, but you don't talk the whole time. You're not allowed to talk till 9 a.m. And then you, uh, 9 a.m. 
and then you stop talking at 7 p.m. So then you can still be with people, still do the things. We ate breakfast together. We did tea together. But you just are just like being and just being present with your food, present with your feelings, present with your intentions for the day. Um, you're not even allowed to read or listen to music because, again, that's a distraction. And it's all coming back to like our inner peace, our inner dialogue, our mindfulness and, you know, what are what is our brain thinking and what are our behaviors and kind of triggers, you know, like being more aware. And that was a big part of why I integrate what I do just from that experience alone, because I really recognize we can learn more by listening than talking all the time. So, you know, majority of my life, I didn't talk. I didn't say nothing. I observed, I learned. And now it's new to me to even try to like put words to everything I've learned and observed. And, you know, I, I have them, but it still gives me anxiety or my heart beats out of my chest. You know, um, I'm good at one-on-one, but put me in front of a big group of people on stage. I'm like, I can't even talk like I'm blacking out. Like it's bad. Like, um, but it's a muscle and I'm working on it and it's not something I, I have ever done. I can do it like in a gym and be like, okay, we're all going to deadlift. We're moving, you know, like I'm really good in that environment, but like put me up on stage to talk about my life or my experiences or my observations or my why, um, you know, it's something I'm still like working on strengthening and, and recognizing that like, you know, we're not going to be good at everything. And, and especially if we don't practice it. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm practicing it on podcasts and putting myself in those environments that I talk about where, you know, you put yourself in co- uncomfortable situations and look your fear, you know, um, in the face and realize that fear is an illusion. And it's, it's what we tell ourselves and the story we're telling ourselves. Cause to me, f- fear is, you know, the restraints we put on ourselves. Yes. I love that. Oh, so good. I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your story today and just us unraveling the ridiculous similarities. Like just, just so the listeners get like a little summary because I'm just so entertained by this. We're both from BC. Our name is spelt very similarly. We were competitive athletes like all throughout our childhood and university. We're both hearing impaired. Um, we also, I studied physical education in French. So I did a lot of Kines courses. Her degrees in Kines. We're both into you know, healing, working with others. We both had experienced forms of trauma and abuse in our childhood. Um, What else? Like, seriously, I just, the similarities, and I'm telling you, me and Kelly literally just randomly, well, I mean, it's not really random, it's more divine, connected through Instagram. So I just, I just find it so fascinating, like just being open to people sliding into my DMs and be like, hey, like our name is kind of spelled the same, you know, and then just letting things unfurl from there. It's just been so, so cool and like cheeky, I feel like from the universe, like us coming into each other's lives. Well, you my know? cheeks are like burning and my jaw is hurting because I have a perma smile on my face. And <laughs> it's honestly, it's awesome. Like I feel honored and grateful and, and I'm looking forward to connecting more because I guarantee you there's like a hundred other things that are similar but we just have to kind of you know spend that quality time together so thank you for today and everything oh you're so welcome can you share with our listeners where they can connect with you online and I'll put all the links in the show notes yeah so um my Instagram is uh (laughs) Kelly well actually I'll give you my email probably the best way to get a hold of me right now because I'm not super active on my social media so 
uh, it'd be K-E-H-L-Y at thedietdoc.com. So the and then diet, D-I-E-T, and then D-O-C.com. So that would be the best way to get a hold of me. I do have a website launching. Um, it's not there yet. And then my business page uh, on Facebook is E3 Studio. And um, yeah, you can find find me on Facebook. So K-E-H-L-Y, and then my last name's M-A-C capital D-U-F-F. So I would say those are kind of the, the easiest places to find me. Um, but I'm not super present on social media. So if you do want to connect with me and, and work with me, I would say email would be your, your best choice. Cool. Thank you so much for sharing. And I loved our conversation today and just hearing more of your story. So thank you again for coming on, Kelly. Thank you. It's been so sweet. And I got to share like some awesome stories that I love to share. And just thanks for creating that safe space. Yeah, you're welcome. And I want to thank the listeners for tuning in so you can reach out to Kelly through, I'll put the links in the show notes and her email there as well. And of course, if you can like and subscribe to the channel, and if you share this episode, you can tag both of us and we can just celebrate with you. Curious if you have anything in common with us, (laughs) maybe we could start a little group chat. (laughs) So thank you so much for listening and I'll chat with you in the next episode.